0: Hey good morning FCF. I want to start by asking you if you've ever had an experience. It's a pretty common one. Uh, the experience would be like this. Maybe there was a certain Christmas in your past or maybe it's recent and you were expecting or hoping for one particular present. This is something typical particularly when we're kids. We have our hearts set on one thing and even though we may have gotten many many other presents If that one present isn't there, the whole Christmas experience is not quite what we want it to be. Your heart is set on just that one present. You're so hoping as you pull the wrapping paper open that ultimately your eyes will fasten upon that one present. That's one experience that perhaps uh, some of us have had. Let me give you a second one that maybe a lot of us have had. Have you ever had the experience where perhaps you are are hungry and you you come home You're hungry, you're looking around for food, but as you're looking, you realize you're not really sure what you want to eat. And so you're looking. Now, in your mind, you have this sense that once you see it, you'll know it and you will know that's exactly what you were looking for. Now, you don't know what you're looking for, but you know that when you see it, you'll know it. So it's a pretty common experience, and that last one, we do it sometimes with clothing or any number of things. We, we don't have something specific in mind, but we just have this instinct almost that when we see it, we'll know it. I, I want to suggest that this might be a mechanism that God has built into us to try to direct us to Himself, to the truth about Himself, and to the truth about life. We're starting a new series of messages called The Present or Presence. Uh, doing a play on the, the spelling of the word, P-R-E-S-E-N-T or P-R-E-N-C-E. Present, as in a gift, or presence, as in a person's presence. So, the gist of this series is this. We as human beings have a history of looking for presents, you know, as in packages, boxes, experiences, persons, places, things. We're looking for presence, but the truth is none of these presents are really what our heart is searching for. We're looking for a presence. We're going to go through a series uh, looking at various things that Jesus said, and there are particular sayings where Jesus used the term, I am. That will be the the guideline for our series. So we're going to start today by looking at a portion of Scripture in John's Gospel, chapter 4, And it's a really interesting portion of Scripture for a number of reasons. Let's just kind of go there because we have a lot of ground to cover. And I'm in John's Gospel, chapter 4, beginning in verse 4. Now, he had to go through Samaria, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus was tired as he was from the journey, or Jesus, tired as He was from the journey, He sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. That's noon, 12 o'clock. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to Him, You are a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked Him and He would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his flocks and herds? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water that I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. And I'm going to pause there before we go on. So let's try to put a little bit of this storyline together. Jesus and his disciples have been traveling for a long ways. Jesus is left as they go buy supplies and he's tired. Here's the humanity of Jesus. He sits down by the well and as he's there, this woman comes. Now, it's midday. It is not the typical time that someone would come to draw water. It would be done earlier in the morning when it's cool, maybe even toward evening. So here's this woman. Why is she coming in the hottest part of the day? And then Jesus, this is important, Jesus initiates a conversation with this woman. She is shocked. She's shocked for two reasons. Evidently, by Jesus' attire, she can tell that He's a Jew. And she's shocked, first of all, that a Jewish man would even talk to a woman. Much more, she is shocked that a Jewish man would talk to a Samaritan. Why this prejudice? Well, the Samaritans, we just went through a series of messages that talked about how the ten northern tribes were overrun by Assyria in 722 BC. They became the lost 10 tribes. They were intermingled with other pagan religious uh, peoples of the Assyrian empire and we never hear from them again. But they regathered to a degree and they practice sort of a, a strange uh, mixture, a hybrid mixture of true biblical Judaism and their Samaritan beliefs. And so the Jews wanted nothing to do with them because of their their uh, belief system that was so corrupted. So they had this tremendous prejudice. And so here's Jesus, he's a man, breaking kind of the cultural code of that day as a Jewish man, speaking to a woman. He initiates the conversation. And she's a Samaritan, which is another shocker. So he's, he's doing things that just to this woman don't make a lot of sense. She's pulled back by it. Now, now for you and I, it's really critical that we pick up on some things happening here. Jesus, who is God in flesh, he's, He's God revealed as He really is. All of biblical history, God has been slowly but surely unveiling Himself, revealing Himself, and now in Jesus we have God in all of His fullness revealed to us. This is what God is really like. God initiates a conversation with somebody that expected to be rejected. God initiates a conversation with a woman who was at a well at 12 o'clock noon when no one else was around? What what might that have been about? Why did she want to seemingly avoid people? You're going to see in a minute, but I, I want to just pause there and give you something to think about. What the woman was doing is something that perhaps some of us have done at times. I just wonder. I just wonder. Have you ever had one of those days? Or for whatever reason, you just wanted to go. You had some uh, errands to run, but you didn't want to see anybody. You didn't want anybody to see you. You wanted to go, do what you had to do, and get out. And lo and behold, so there you are. You're out wherever you're at, Walmart or somewhere, (laughs) and you're wanting to be invisible. But you see someone that knows you, but you don't want to let on that you see them. So you play the invisibility game. You act as though they're invisible to you, as though you can't see them. And you're hoping like crazy that you're going to be invisible to them because you're just in that uncomfortable state for whatever reason, where for that day, you just didn't want to see or talk to anybody. Well, well, she's playing the invisibility game. She's coming at 12 o'clock when it's burning hot because she doesn't want to see anyone. Now, we're going to see in a minute why that was that she didn't want to see anyone. So let let me take you to the next portion of Scripture. Verse 16. This is after Jesus, of course, has given her this offer of living water. And I'm going to go back and talk about that too. But I want to pick up on this first. Verse 16, He told her, Go call your husband and come back. The woman says in verse 17, I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is true, and I'm going to pause there. Does it become a little more clear why she's there at a time where she thought she'd be all alone, the heat of the day drawing water? She didn't want to see any of the women in the town. That's for sure. She didn't probably want to see any of the men in the town. This was a woman who was uncomfortable with her existence. This is a woman who was struggling with feelings of being a failure, feelings of being a reject, feelings that she had so mismanaged her life that she had guilt and she had tremendous shame. Now, I want to take you back. So, this explains to us why she's there, why she's playing the invisibility game. Not sure why you and I play the invisibility game sometimes, but that was her reason. She just felt like every human set of eyes that would light upon her would be rejecting eyes. And you know and I know rejection hurts. It hurts just as much as a physical pain, perhaps even worse. Let's analyze that conversation a bit. Jesus is not only not only goes out of his way to be outgoing and initiate a conversation with her, but he intentionally stimulates Her spirituality that Jesus knows is still somewhat a flickering flame alive in her. Let's look at some of those verses a little bit. Verse 10. If you knew, Jesus answers a woman, if you knew the gift of God, notice it's a gift of God. If you knew the gift of God, if you knew what God wants to give you and who it is, meaning himself, that you ask or that ask you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water." Now now Jesus has shifted the conversation dramatically. He, he is trying to stimulate this woman's spiritual senses. But she still doesn't seem to get it. Her response is pretty, pretty um, you know, abrupt. She says, uh, "You don't have anything to draw with, and the well's deep. How are you going to get this living water? Are you greater than Jacob? Verse 13, Jesus now he he stimulates her spiritual side even deeper. He goes on, he says, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So Jesus is telling this woman, You're here because you're thirsty. You have a a physical thirst that you must quench. It drives you to quench it. Every three to four days, you're going to have to quench that thirst. No matter where you have to go or what you have to do, this desire you have inside you will move you to find water. Jesus though, is talking about other desires, other thirsts, the, the thirsts of the soul. He says, if you were to ask me, Uh, uh, about the gift of God. I would have given you the gift of God and it would have been this living water. It would have been something that so fulfills you, so meets those deeper thirsts that you have in your soul. He's shifting from physical water to spiritual matters. And He's saying, if you just knew who you're talking to, uh, you would have asked Me and I would have given you. Notice that. God would have given you. I would have given you this water that leads to eternal life. Now, now what were the obvious spiritual thirsts that this woman had? She had been in five relationships, five marital relationships. We don't know why they ended, but typically in those biblical days, it would have been the husband that initiated divorce. Women were pretty powerless in that biblical society of the first century. But we don't know. Could have been her side. And she's now living with a man who wouldn't even bother to marry her, which is more shame. It's not hard for us to see what Jesus saw. Here's a woman whose heart is shattered, whose sense of self-worth is non-existent, who craves, who thirsts for relational stability, for a love that lasts, for someone that will stick with her, for someone that will value her. She thirsted to get amongst other human beings and not have them look at her as someone that is disgusting, as someone that is a failure, as someone that is a reject. She longed. She longed to be able to get close to God without feeling like I'm beyond redemption. If anybody's beyond redemption, it's surely me. That's why she was so hesitant to talk to a Jewish man in particular because the Jewish men and the Jewish people in general of that day looked at the Samaritans as those disgusting to God beyond redemption because of their mixing of pagan religious ideas in. So she had the same soul thirst that every human has. She probably had a lot of other human thirst, soul thirst. You know, let's face it, if you look deep enough, if I look deep enough in my soul, There are lots and lots of things I thirst for. I thirst for, you thirst for, a world where bad things just don't happen, where there is no crime, there is no hatred, there is no prejudice, there there are no horrific accidents, there's no war, there's there's no bloodshed, there's no cruelty, there's no abandonment, there's no betrayal, there's no slander, there's no hatred. We, We look for a world where I, you, we can walk through life anywhere, anytime, and never have to have the experience of fear. We thirst for a world, for an existence where fear does not exist. There's nothing to be afraid of ever. We, we thirst if we look deep enough inside. We thirst to know God face to face. We want to hear His voice. We want to be in His presence and feel completely wanted, welcomed, loved, safe, secure, forgiven, belonging. And all this was happening as Jesus, God in flesh, is addressing this woman. This woman that that no one else probably wanted to talk to, that everyone else would have avoided, that everyone else would have considered beyond redemption. Jesus initiates conversation with her. Jesus is being very outgoing with her, almost playful at times. Jesus is drawing her into a spiritual conversation, trying to let her, you know what? God, the Creator of the universe, is here in the form of a tired human being because He so wants to connect with you. You matter so much to Him. Yeah, you're ashamed. You're afraid of other humans and what they think of you. You think everybody's judging you negatively all the time, and maybe they are. And because of that, you think God feels the same way. And here is God in Jesus saying, that is just not true. That's not remotely true at all. The thing that you pick up on this conversation, and this is one of those times where I so wish I could have been there and just heard the tone of Jesus' voice. (laughs) Saw the look in His eyes, but she saw the look in His eyes, and she heard the tone in His voice. And it was warm. It was welcoming. It was playful, I think. It was loving. She saw, I don't know why, but this person is nice to me. This person likes me this person is glad to interact with me. Now to this point, to this point, it didn't make a lot of sense to her. She perhaps thought he's an eccentric. He's talking about living water and eternal life. But then the conversation takes this really screeching halt, uncomfortable shift. Let me go back to you and show you what happens next. Jesus says in verse 16, He told her, Go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied, still trying to be invisible, still trying to evade her feelings of tremendous shame. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is true. She responds, sir, the woman said, I can see you're a prophet and I'm going to stop there. Why? Why would Jesus, after making this beautiful offer to this woman, after treating her with such warmth and dignity and respect, why would He suddenly zero in on the most painful place in her life? The, the very thing that she was up there at noonday to try to avoid, the shame of her past, uh, the feeling that was of utter failure that could never be undone. Why? Why would He point to this? Now, you know, through the years... I've read a lot of material and heard even messages where uh, writers or preachers will say, well, this is where Jesus was bringing the law of God to bear on her soul so she could feel deep conviction of sin so that she might cry out for God's mercy. Folks, I want to tell you, anybody that reads that into that passage, misses, completely misses, beauty of the heart of God in this passage that is not at all what Jesus was doing let me show you what he was doing you'll recognize this suppose suppose right now you you fixate just for a moment and maybe maybe you, you can't do this but just suppose right now the the series of the most embarrassing shameful woeful things that you have ever done, the things that you have been involved in that you would, you don't want anyone ever to know, the things that you would be horrified if another human being knew, the things that you want to bury and forget about, and we all have those. What if suddenly those things were put right up on the screen in the auditorium before everybody there. Imagine, imagine how you would feel. Your reflex reaction, my reflex reaction would be that if people knew this about me, they would reject me forever. They would never feel the same about me. I'd have to run away, move away. I'd be lost in their eyes. I'd be a complete reject. So why would Jesus do this? Why, Why would He make her face the very pain that she was trying to avoid? because it was the pain she was trying to avoid, but could not avoid. What better thing could God do than to let this woman know, I know you. I know, I know every mistake you've ever made. I know the things that cause you to hate yourself. I know the things that make you come here at 12 o'clock noon when it's so hot no one else would. I know the things that you believe make you beyond redemption in the eyes of God. It is Jesus' way, not bringing her under God's law, it is Jesus' way of saying, I know everything about you. I know the worst, I know the worst, the thing that you're terrified for anybody else to know, the thing you want to be erased forever, I know it. And look in my eyes, I think felt like Jesus was saying, listen to my voice. I still love you. I still want you. I'm the one standing here offering you this living water that if you'll take it, it will satisfy all the the thirsts of your soul and it will lead you to everlasting life. This is crucial for you to get. Please get this. Because it could be that this is the message alone for you or for someone today. That God is saying that part of your life that series of events, those things that are perhaps still a part of you that you can't shake, that that you feel so awful about, those things that, that you wish you could erase but you cannot, those things that fill you with guilt and shame, God sees them, He knows them, and He wants you to know He still loves us. He's not shocked. It doesn't stop His grace. That's what His grace is all about. His grace is just His love going out to help us, to seek us, to save us, to rescue us. This term salvation, this, this message I called Salvation Wanted, we have too small of a of idea of what salvation is. Today in Christian jargon, salvation is kind of, oh yeah, you... You make this bargain with Jesus and you get your sins forgiven and you get a ticket to heaven. That was not the Jewish notion of salvation in Jesus' day. No, it was much bigger. The Messiah, the one that would bring salvation, He would not only bring political salvation, but He would bring spiritual, mental, emotional, and physical salvation. He would heal the entire ills of society, even death. Even Isaiah talked about a new creation of a new heaven and a new earth. Daniel chapter 12 talked about the dead being raised. Jewish salvation was holistic. It it was not this little package. It was not this little individual present where you get your sins forgiven and now you, you have your ticket for heaven. It meant that all the pain that humanity lives with, all that causes us fear, all that causes us anguish and guilt and shame, that salvation would one day, God would rescue, He would come to our rescue, to rescue us from all the things that destroy us, from all the things that haunt us, for all the things that we are defenseless. And Jesus is trying to let this woman know the thing that you think will forever be a a gulf between you and God, the thing that you think makes you beyond redemption, it's not. God knows. Far from Jesus trying to hurt this woman worse, He's trying to show her that his love is not the slightest bit different when he knows these things about her. Now the woman she starts talking spiritual. She's still being a little evasive. Sir, the woman said, I can see you're a prophet. Now she says in verse 20, Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. She, she's trying to be, you know, talk about religious practices. You know, we say it's here, you say it's there. And Jesus is going to tune her in on reality. In verse 21, Jesus declared, Believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Jesus was saying that the revelation that God had given to the Jewish nation, and that, that was dependable. It was to be stuck to. The Samaritans had mixed pagan traditions in as well. So He's clarifying that, but then He says something more important. Verse 23, Yet a time is coming... And now has come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. Notice this. The Father seeks worshipers, but worshipers in spirit and in truth. He goes on to say in verse 24, God is spirit and His worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. What was Jesus talking about here? Worshiping in spirit and truth. This is the Father seeks worshipers. Well, well, you and I need a new definition of what worship is, first of all, because we tend to have this thought, well, God wants everybody bowing down, kind of fearful of Him, kind of ulti- ulti- uh, ultimately respectable to Him. And, and all that's true to a degree, aside from the bowing down thing. The bowing down we see in the book of Revelation are people that are so overwhelmed with the beauty of God, all they can do is throw themselves down. Listen, worship is this it is you it is me it is other people that that see in god someone so admirable so wonderful so trustworthy so beautiful so adorable that All we want is to please Him, to be led by Him, to be close to Him, and we like Him. I want to emphasize that. We don't just just worship Him. We like Him, and that's what causes us to worship Him. We trust Him because we first like Him. We like everything about Him, and we like Him so much. Worshipers are those that like God so much. They want desperately to be like Him. They have seen the truth. They have seen the beauty. The universe cannot exist in harmony and peace and maximum joy until everyone has a heart like God, until everyone thinks the way God thinks and everyone feels the way God feels and everyone has His heart. And so a worshiper, and what Jesus was talking about, worshiping spirit and truth, it's not about being in, in you know, uh, Jerusalem. It's not about being in any place. It is about on the inside, you and I, Seeing God as He's revealed in Scripture, in Jesus in particular, and saying, I like you. I like everything about you. I trust you utterly. All I want to do is be with you. I want your will on this earth and in the universe more than I want my will. I like you so much, I want desperately to be like you, and I will pursue that for the rest of my life because I can't help it. I worship you. You've won my heart. You've won my allegiance. I, I adore you and it's the only thing I can do. Folks, we have so dumbed down and mechanized what we call a relationship with Christ. We have made it, you know, kind of a contractual thing where you know we say a prayer to Jesus or whatever, and then we get the package, the present. Here's your forgiveness of sin. Here's your ticket to heaven. And I just want to tell you we need a spiritual awakening, folks. Believe me, God wants people that want Him. Do not be deceived about this. And He wants people that so want Him that they will welcome His revelation in His Word when it is offered to them. Jesus tells His woman, don't worry about where you're at. Worry about what's inside you. Worry about whether you truly want God for Himself because Jesus had already told the woman, God wants you. He knows all about you. He knows what you feel the worst about. He knows what you're the most afraid of. And He still wants you. He wants to give you the gift of living water. He wants to give you the gift of everlasting life with Himself. But He can't give the present apart from His presence. And this is where we get mixed up. We tend to sometimes want things from God without understanding God is the thing that we want and need the most. He can't give us anything of enduring value apart from Himself. That's the reality. Let me just read you uh, a verse from John 4.14 in a different version because it sounds a little more powerful. It says, But no one who drinks the water I will give will ever be thirsty again. The water I give is like a flowing fountain that gives eternal life. Jesus is talking about Himself. He's talking about becoming a worshiper in spirit and in truth. And when we connect with God heart to heart, my heart and God's heart resonate together authentically. I'm not afraid of Him. I'm not trying to get anything from Him. He has conquered. I love Him because... Of what he's revealed himself and who he's revealed himself to be, and that's spirit and truth worth it, worship. Psalm thirty-seven four it says, "Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart." It's the Lord that gives and fulfills those desires of her heart. Psalm one forty-five sixteen says, "You open your hand, and you satisfy the desires of every living thing." So she was seeking satisfaction, water, physical water, evading more rejection. But what she found was the satisfier. You can't get lasting satisfaction apart from the satisfier. That's the great truth that we see here. Now, what happens next is really extraordinary. Verse 25, the woman said, I know the Messiah called Christ is coming. When He comes, He will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I who speak to you am He. This is the most clear Uh, Time that Jesus ever expressed who He was to anyone. It it was the most open. So Jesus is inviting... Folks, we have to see this. This unknown Samaritan woman rejected by most, looked down upon by perhaps all, our God wants us to know you could be there in your own eyes, whether it's accurate or not, but He comes seeking such people. There are, no, there are no unimportant people to our God. His love is beyond what we can really ask and think. And He tells this woman, you say that you're waiting for the Messiah, the one that's going to tell you the truth about God, about life. Well, I am He. And so this is a tremendous, tremendous awakening. Look at what happens next. Just then His disciples returned, and were surprised to find Him talking with a woman. But no one asked, What do you want? Or why are you talking with her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? They came out of the town and made their way toward Him. And then a conversation ensues between Jesus and His disciples. I'm going to pick up in verse 39. Many of the Samaritans So get, get the picture... The the woman goes to town. She tells these people, I've met this man. He told me everything I ever did. Could he be the Christ? Because Jesus had already told her that He was. She was very wise in the way she presented this. She was arousing their interest. She wanted them to meet God in Jesus the way she had. And so she goes back to the townspeople that she had been hiding from and evading. No no longer did she care about her shame. No longer was she worried about uh, rejection. Although... On the outside, her life was pretty much the same. She was a poor first century person living under the Roman rule. On the inside, everything was changed. Everything was new. You can see it starting to happen. Verse 39, Many of the Samaritans uh, from the town believed in Him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to Him, they urged Him to stay with them, and He stayed two days and because of His words, many more became believers. Then they said to the woman, We no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. I'm going to read you John 4:41 and 42 in uh, the Contemporary English Version. It says, Many more Samaritans put their faith in Jesus because of what they heard Him say. They told the woman, We no longer have faith in Jesus because of what you told us. We have heard Him ourselves and we are certain that He is the Savior of the world. So we see that this this woman's simple proclamation, she's a most imperfect person. She's a person that wanted to evade involvement with others. But now when she knows that God accepts her, that God respects her, that God seeks her, that God loves her and wants her, welcomes her, a new boldness takes over, and she wants to share this extraordinary news that she has now met the one that's going to reveal the final and complete comprehensive truth about God and life, the Messiah. And she wants them to experience what she has experienced. Folks, we all want a God that is warm to us, that's tender, a God not just that accepts us or loves us in the generic mass of humanity, you know, like for God so loved the world, even though that's beautiful when you take it internally but a God that likes us, that understands the horrific things that exist in our own lives and minds and experiences, the things that we wish never would have occurred, the things that torment us perhaps still, and that He looks at those and they do not deter Him in any way. In fact, He just moves toward us to bring cleansing, to bring forgiveness, to bring healing. I want you to see Jesus was already forgiving to this woman. He doesn't condemn her. He doesn't do anything but seek to relieve her fears. The big problem between God and us is that we have been deceived by the wicked one. We have been deceived in thinking that, that God is just this bully that wants to you know completely overwhelm us and control us and deprive us of what is Best and good. All this started in the Garden of Eden, and so God has to remove this satanic slander and show the truth about Himself—that He's the safest, most loving, most worthy person in the universe. So this woman's simple proclamation: She says, "Go, you know, let me let me show you this man that knew everything about me. Could he be the Christ?" an amazing multiplication takes place. Many, many of these Samaritans, these are individuals that we would consider, these are the hard cases. The Jews would have considered them beyond redemption, multitudes of them. They just needed to meet God as He really is. They just needed a clear, true image of God. I am convinced today that churches are full of people that need a clear, compelling image of God as He really is. We, we, we have so systemized some thoughts about what we call salvation, like I say, that, that we miss the relational beauty of our Creator. And yet, that's the bedrock. That's the foundation that He's always going to bring us back to. Our quality of life is determined by what we possess inwardly, not outwardly. This lady's life didn't change. She was still a Samaritan living in the first century under the Roman Empire. She was still going to have people that misunderstood her and mistreated her. She was still going to be poor. She was still going to have to draw that water from that well. But she had a new hope, a new promise, a new certainty, because she knew the Messiah would ultimately right all the wrongs sickness, sorrow, pain, disease, death, hatred, prejudice, all these things eventually the Messiah would bring to an end. And she had met the Messiah and she knew that He's no one to be afraid of, that he's, he's the most loving, He's the safest person in the world. I guarantee you, that conversation that day, that woman never, ever, ever forgot. She never felt that love. She never felt that safe. She never felt that understood. She never... She never felt that forgiven. She never felt that wanted. She never felt that approved of. She never felt that affirmed, perhaps ever again in her life. But it had to have a lasting effect on her because it cannot be otherwise. Just as it's had a lasting effect on most of us that are a part of this this message today. Let me read you something from Psalm 16.11. and says of God, it says, You've made known to me the path of life. In Your presence there is fullness of joy. It's the presence of God, not presence from God. We don't need gifts from God, although He showers us with those periodically. It's Him. He's the great present that our souls are always thirsting for. In Your presence there are pleasures forevermore. First Chronicles 16.11, it says, Seek the Lord in His strength. Seek His presence continuously. I want, to, I want to close this out today by going back to this thing Jesus said because I, I am so uncomfortable with the way we have uh, mechanized uh, this thing called salvation. When you read the word salvation, the, the thing that shall come to your mind is the picture of a rescue being attempted. That someone is in dire trouble, it's very action oriented, and someone else is trying to rescue them. That's the heart of that word. Well, what is it that we're being rescued from? Well, today it seems like the only thing you hear at church is, well, He's going to rescue us from the penalty of our sins and He's going to whisk us off to heaven someday. I'm not, I'm not saying that forgiveness of sin isn't important, nor am I saying that ultimately living in the eternal presence of God isn't important, but there's something much worse. What does it say? It says of Jesus, "...they will call His name Jesus, for He shall save His people from their what sins." Not the penalty of our sins, from sin itself. It says that He came to abolish sin. There's multiple scriptures that say that the thing that I need, that you need the most, is to be delivered from the power of sin. We need to be delivered, first of all, from the satanic slander, so that instead of distrusting God and running from God, we trust Him and run toward Him. But, But it's God that we need. It's His presence. We were created by Christ and for Christ and made and meant to live in His presence every day, all day, until we finally are in His presence physically forever in the new heaven and new earth. So, this worship in spirit and in truth, I want to close there. You and I have to ask ourselves, do we, from the depths of our hearts, find in Jesus, I'm going to say it, the very love of our life, the, the, the present, the one that we, we, we were looking for. We didn't know who it was. We didn't know what it was. But the something we were always looking for. We, we found it in Him. The pearl of great price. The treasure buried in the field. We found it. He is one that we, we love the way He thinks. And we love the way He feels. Listen folks. When you read spirit. Spirit in scripture is pure thought. God it says is spirit. He, he is pure thought. And God is looking for those that love the way He thinks. He's looking for those that love the way He feels. He's looking for those that love His heart. We are not those that are are meant to have some sort of a sterile uh, agreement with God, almost like a courtroom agreement that, oh boy, now the debt of our sins is paid for and, and that's all it's about. Now just wait until your ticket gets punched to go to heaven. There is so much more. God, it says, wants and seeks those that worship Him in spirit. And to worship Him, it doesn't mean I'm quaking in fear. It means that I find in Him one that I value above everyone else. I look at Him and I say, there's nobody, nobody like you. No one I want more. No one I want to be like more. That's worshiping in spirit and in truth. I'm going to share something kind of personal with you in closing. I don't know when this started. It's been over a decade for sure, but... I started having these experiences periodically, and I never know when they're going to happen. And fact, it's, it's kind of embarrassing sometimes, but, but I, for want of a better way of describing them, I call them these glimpses. I remember when it first started happening, they're, they're just, I don't know how to explain. It. It's sort of a spiritual sense, a s- sort of a spiritual feeling, but I get glimpses of the heart of God periodically. It comes over me anytime, anywhere. And immediately, it brings me to tears. You, you have probably seen it occur in messages. It has occurred in this message. I never know when it's going to happen. So, I cherished that because these glimpses of God's heart are, are, are scriptural, but they're beyond scriptural. And the tears that it brings me to are, are the tears of ecstasy and joy. They're, they're not sadness at all. Um, but here's what I'm trying to lead to. About a year or so ago, and I can't remember how I came across this song, it might have been my wife that found it originally and shared it with me, but there's a song by a singer named Misty Edwards. I, 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 I don't want to recommend Misty Edwards necessarily, nor the church that she is a part of, but there's this one song that she sings. It is very simple. And it was the first time in my life The words that I I had been trying to find in my vocabulary to express what I feel toward my Creator, my King, my Savior, the Savior of the world, I, I, I couldn't ever quite find the words. And then I heard this song. The words are simple, but they're powerful. If they describe you, I think they epitomize those that worship God in spirit and in truth. Now, if you're not a worshiper in spirit and truth, today, just like our God, our Creator in Jesus came seeking this woman who was not seeking Him. He is seeking you. He seeks us all. He seeks us relentlessly. His heart is so much bigger and so much wider than we can comprehend. So today can be your day that you go from maybe a kind of a mechanistic relationship with God for want of a better term to entering into an authentic trust, love, bond where you become one that worships God in spirit and truth because you love the way He thinks and you love the way He feels because you love His heart today. So we're going to close. Jess is going to sing a piece of this song by Misty Edwards. Please just let the words sink into your heart. And I hope that they'll resonate in your heart the way they resonated in mine. And I hope as I close this in prayer, you will leave here today. We will leave here today as those that worship God in spirit and in truth. For such does God seek. Let's pray. Father, I am so personally grateful. For this experience, this encounter you had with this woman. It shows us your heart. It gives every human being hope. The salvation we yearn for, only you have the power to bring. And we know that you have the heart and desire and the promise to us to do so. May your spirit move powerfully and deeply in each of our hearts today, because I know that's what you're trying to do. I ask this in Christ's name. Amen.